officially named still. Uh, my name is Joshua Iverson, associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined once again by co-host John Bitzer, founder and editor-in-chief. John, how's it going today? It's going well, Josh. How are you? Pretty solid. Um, we've had a busy baseball week, not so much on the trade front, though. Um, so let's let's go ahead and kick things off getting into the news from the week. The biggest trade news of the past week actually broke a little earlier today, and it was regarding the Red Sox and Padres. Uh, those are two teams that were talking a lot earlier in the offseason, a couple weeks back when Betts was still on the table. The Padres had a lot of interest there. There was a lot of communication from both sides. But now, reportedly, they still have interest in completing a deal with Will Myers. Yeah, I think this one is really interesting. And I, when I saw the news, I actually wasn't surprised because the the Padres really want to get rid of that contract because not only for financial reasons, but more for, I think, roster reasons because he's just sort of he's blocking a few other sort of components and players there. And I think I think they could use the the roster space, frankly. Yeah, they um, have they have a really crowded outfield there. And that was before they added pieces like Bam. Right. Um, and he just he just doesn't really fit there anymore. They when they had signed him to that extension, I think they envisioned him being that franchise type of player that they build around. But now they have real versions of that guy in Machado, in Tatis Jr. Um, and they already have another Albatross contract on their hands in Hosmer. They're just mm-hmm. there's no room for Myers anymore. Yeah, and let's so let's talk about how we value him. Uh, now a lot of people might think of him as you know, kind of what he was when he was first coming up. He was a really bright talent. I believe he won Rookie of the Year. He had a couple of really good, solid and promising years, and everyone thought he was going to be a big star. He got bounced around a little bit, traded a couple of times, and he's not been so good, actually, with the Padres the last couple of years. He's really kind of regressed quite a bit to the point where if you look at his numbers over the last couple of years, you think this is not the player we thought he was going to turn into. And so that's bad timing from a performance standpoint, coupled with the fact that his contract was backloaded such that he's he was only making a few million a year before. Now he's owed, you know, 20 million a year plus plus one more, I think, for, um, you know, in addition to that. So he's owed 61 million dollars and he's not playing anywhere close to that. So when we crunch the numbers, you know, and 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 looked at the uh, projection systems and so forth and the way we kind of weight them. The number we we came up with, which we think is relatively accurate right now, is is minus forty seven point four. So in other words, he's worth about fourteen million of field value, but he's owed sixty one million. So we've got a negative forty seven there. And so yeah. the if you look at that from the Red Sox point of view, you know after the bets trade and after unloading half of the price contract, they've actually got a little wiggle room now financially, especially if the Padres kick in as we were being told in some of the reports. If they kick in half of the money. You know, so that's uh, they wouldn't be paying Myers 20 million a year on Boston side. They'd be paying him more like 10 million a year. And further, when you look at his tax uh, salary tax sort of component of that, it's actually less than 20 because what they do is they sort of average it out over the length of the contract. So I believe it's right right around 13. So it's not Mm -hmm. 20. So so the Red Sox from a from a CBT point of view wouldn't really be taking much a hit, much of a hit at all, because it's uh, especially if the Padres kick in 10 of that per year. So yeah. it's not much for them to, to take on. Yeah, from, uh, from Red Sox stats on Twitter, his uh, luxury tax number is $13.8 million, mm-hmm. And the most recent report, which is from Kevin Assee of the San Diego Union-Tribune, 
um, has them has the Padres eating about half of his total salary. That would drop since if there, if that means thirty million for the next three years, that drops Meyer's luxury tax figure down to just three point eight million in right. average annual value. So that's not an issue for the Red Sox regarding the luxury tax after they've moved bets and price. And that's that's an interesting buy low for them. Um, they're a team where the actual the Red Sox the actual budget isn't a problem for them. It was all just that luxury tax figure. They don't have any concerns running the year-to-year budget up near that 200 million mark. It was just that they wanted to re- reset those penalties with the bets and price trade. So why not take a chance on a Will Myers, um, especially if they can add an interesting prospect out of it? Because like I was saying, that Kevin S.C. report has the Padres eating 30 million. Well. Based on our values, we'd still have Myers in the red by about 17 million, mm-hmm. and that's why the report also has the Padres packaging at least one young player with Will Myers. And the three names that have been thrown out so far are Cal Quantrill, Luis Camposano, and Gabriel Arias. Who are none of those are a Tatis level prospect or anything that that means, but they're all valuable young players, and they would be important additions to a pretty weak farm system in Boston. That's right. So, you know, when you look at some of the trade proposals on our site, um, you know, a few folks have apparently heard the news and started playing around with combinations of, of players like that. So to echo your point, from Boston's point of view, it's almost like buying a prospect. You get a little bit of value with Will Myers because you wouldn't be paying him so much. And there's some field value there a little bit. And also you'd be getting a prospect, at least one, to your point. And so one uh, proposal I'm looking at would have uh, Luis Caposano, who's a young catching prospect, going to the Red Sox along with Myers and 30 million cash. And that would be a total value from the Red Sox uh, point of view of about 14, it's 14.7. So they would uh, have to give up something somewhere in that neighborhood. And so this this proposal has uh, San Diego getting Matt Barnes, who's a reliever who's actually been one of the most underrated relievers, in my opinion. Uh, he's really consistent about put, uh, putting up good numbers. He's not like a closer, which is why he maybe doesn't get as much mm-hmm. attention, but really solid seventh, eighth inning guy. And I think the Reds and the uh, Padres, who are looking to pe- compete this year, who already seemingly are building a strong bullpen, would get even stronger with, a, with an addition like that. So that trade makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and what's interesting there is that, um, obviously, the, like, as you mentioned, the Padres already have that loaded bullpen. Um, a C also notes that their end goal might be to add a true superstar level talent. And the two names he lists are Nick Senzel and Francisco Lindor. Mm-hmm. And both of those are teams that maybe a Matt Barnes type, or even if not a ba- Matt Barnes, maybe flipping a Kirby Yates. Maybe those are the type of players that would appeal to the Reds and the Indians with where they are right now. Um, I, I do think that might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. I'm, I'm not sure in these last uh, – teams just reported the spring training. I'm not sure the Indians are looking to move Lindor right now or even the Reds moving Senzel, if he's, even, if, even if he's a lesser player than Lindor. I'm, I'm not sure a big move like that is really coming next. But it does make some sense down the road, and that would help explain maybe why the Padres would target a reliever back from the Red Sox. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I don't. I I think it's a bit of a long shot to see if they could kind of swing a three-way for a Lindor or a Senzel, mm-hmm. uh, because their values are so high, and that introduces a lot of complexity to try to even one out, you know, on all three sides. So, I think it'd be much easier to stick with a two-way, but you know, mm-hmm. who knows? 
or even if even if right now it is just the Red Sox Padres trade and in a couple months Padres are maybe competitive now they have a little bit of payroll opened up since they were able to move Myers plus they have prospects that they're more willing to deal from that deep farm because of whatever they acquired from the Red Sox so I think just if they can get Myers off the roster without costing any of their true upper tier prospects that's a good move and something they should really consider and then and then for Boston we have Myers at negative 47 million in uh, adjusted field value or excuse me excuse me surplus value um but that's he's not your traditional sunk cost player. He's only twenty nine still. Yeah. And even in twenty eighteen, he was a valuable player when he was on the field. Just the the problem is he had trouble staying healthy and then took another step back in twenty nineteen. So there's a lot of upside there if you're Boston. Yeah, there is some field value there. There is some a, a little bit of upside. If, you know, maybe they can they can find a key to to getting him back to where he was a couple of years ago. So you know, it's certainly possible. But he is a corner guy. Let's let's make no mistake. You know, there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of defensive value there. So it really would have to be focused on his offense. Mm-hmm. And, and as I mentioned, the the um, you know the fact is you know Boston would be interested in doing that to get a prospect. They wouldn't be looking to get a, unload any prospects because their farm has right. been so bad lately that they they want to build that up. And, and Ryan Bloom has said as much. They you know their high priority right now is to kind of rebuild the farm and and get back on a more sustainable footing. So you know what they would return to to San Diego in this scenario would be a major leaguer, and that fits with what San Diego is trying to do, which is be competitive this year. So that's why I think a Matt Barnes would fit. Uh, I saw another another proposal had Chris Sale going back uh, to San Diego. I think that's a bit of a long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think Boston would be willing to pull that trigger just so far. You know, even though his contract is a little bit underwater, there's a lot of injury and contract risk there. Mm-hmm. But I don't see him going that far. I'm not sure that's the best look for the organization right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So we'll see how that one turns out. It's a really interesting scenario, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see something like that. Probably not the most realistic, but either way, let's we'll keep our eyes peeled on this uh, Will Myers situation. Mm-hmm. So from there, uh, let's move into a segment. We're gonna try and uh, try and make it a weekly segment. It's our trade of the week. Almost every day we have new trades updated on the site in the featured trades section. And every day we're tweeting them out from the Twitter account, sharing some of our most popular submissions, some of our favorite submissions um, from each day. And we figured why not feature those even feature our best one of the week even more, especially on this podcast. Um, so our first ever trade of the week, this one comes from user Noah Snipe. And it's it's a big one. It's got Chris Bryant heading to the Phillies. There's been the, the buzz has quiet quieted down a little bit regarding Bryant and Arenado. Um, it seems a little more likely. The closer we get to the season, the more likely it is they stay put. But there has still been a little bit of chatter, and the Phillies are a natural landing spot for Bryant. They don't really have a definitive third baseman right now. So this trade would send Bryant and a few other pieces that I'll let you get into to the Phillies in exchange for two of their top prospects. Yeah, what, so that's what caught my eye about this one. First of all, Bryant to the Phillies is a good fit on that side of it. But what the Cubs would be looking to get back, I think, would be you know, some premium talent. And they'd also be concerned a little bit about the PR hit. So in this pr- proposal, which I think is interesting, they'd be getting the, the Phillies' two best prospects, Alec Bohm, who's a third baseman, and who would fit 
the Cubs, you know, future third base slot. He's getting pretty close to the major, so it wouldn't be too long before he was going to be able to step into those shoes that, that Bryant would have would have left. And Spencer Howard, who's their top pitching prospect, you know, which is something they, the Cubs would also need, considering some of their uh, rotation is getting kind of old and close to uh, close to being done in their contract terms. But the other sort of interesting thing that caught my eye was uh, Andrew McCutcheon would be included in this. Obviously, he missed all of last year with an injury, but clearly he's a star, former MVP. You know, we have him at minus 19, which interestingly helped out the numbers on both sides of it, uh, enabled the Cubs to get two top prospects because they're taking on some negative value with McCutcheon. But but make no mistake, McCutcheon would help from a PR standpoint. So so from the Cubs standpoint, they'd be trading Chris Bryant and a couple of other pieces and getting back two top prospects and a former superstar. That should go over well with the public, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the Cubs situation, they got to do something, right? They're, they've spent most of this offseason kind of just treading water and they're on a clock here. They're not going to, with the contracts that they already have on the books, Jason Hayward, who's way underwater, John Lester, they've just signed Craig Kimbrell, and that deal doesn't look great already. Uh, Darvish had a great year last year, but he still owed a ton of money going mm-hmm. forward. With those contracts they have on the books, it's not going to be, and the contracts they have coming up in the near future, it's not going to be easy for them to stay competitive for the next two, three, four years. They got Bryant running out in two years. They got Baez running out in two years. They got Rizzo running out in two years. And with the way their payroll looks right now, they're not going to be able to afford to lock up all three of those guys. Yeah, they're and in so, a very, very similar position to what the Red Sox were in. Um, right. You know, because, you know, but they basically, they're over the they're over the hump, right? They won the World Series a couple of years ago, just like Boston won two years ago. And, you know, they're... they're their stars card started getting expensive or their contracts started running out and their farm was pretty bleak. So that's not a sustainable model. At some point you have to bite the bullet. Remember this happened to the Phillies about 10, 15 years ago where they kept their stars way too long and they paid the price for it. And that, that lengthened their rebuild. They basically had to do a hard mm-hmm. rebuild just to kind of get out from under all those bad contracts. So that was a lesson learned for GMs. And that's one of the reasons why I think Dombrowski is not in Boston anymore, because he's not that kind of GM. So they needed somebody who could come in and, and turn that ship around. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Giants have been kind of slowly doing that as well. The Cubs see that. And Theo O'Brien obviously is no dummy. So he sees that that's what's happening. And so he knows he's trying to get ahead of it. So he's thinking if we can trade Bryant, maybe we won't, won't have to do that sort of hard rebuild in two years. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can kind of get ahead of it now and maybe s- smooth out that transition a little bit. But no doubt that trans- transition is coming. Mm-hmm. And what you, what's interesting here is that the money isn't all that different um, in this deal because they are taking the full McCutcheon contract that's $40 million over the next three years. Um, they do lose Bryant's um, this season and his next final season of arbitration, which we have estimated to be worth 46.3 total. And they're losing the final year on Tyler Chatwood's contract, sending him to Philly. That's 13 mil. And then Albert Almora, who we have projected for only 1.6 mil for his three years of arbitration. I believe we have him getting non-tendered at some point. Yeah. Um, based on his projections. That's right. Yeah. He's um, been pretty disappointing. So the money itself is relatively neutral, but you're getting two players in Bohm and Howard that should be able to step up for the 2020 team in the second half. If not, they're definitely ready for opening day 2021. And 
Bohm is a guy that replaces Bryant, Bryant pretty well. He's never going to he's, – he's most likely not going to replicate Bryant's on-field value. That's, that's a long shot. Bryant's mm-hmm. a superstar. But he's a very good third-base prospect, very good hitter. And then you got Howard, who – John Lester has two years left on his deal. He's seen his production decline. By the time he's – he's done he's off that contract maybe howard steps into that lester role and can be a mainstay of that rotation Mm -hmm. so if you're getting two long-term big leaguers that have well above average upside plus a decent little reclamation project in mccutcheon he was hitting very well before he got hurt last year Mm -hmm. Um, all of that in exchange for two years of chris bryant maybe that's a deal you consider it is and uh you know the phillies there's a couple extra uh, pieces in this uh, you mentioned Almora and Chatwood but they'd also be getting Hearn and Rederer who are you know middling prospects but they've got a little bit of upside Hearn is a catcher Rederer is an outfielder um, so they're, you know I think it's a fair deal on both sides because both are getting sort of premium talent you know on each side you know the Cubs getting you know a former MVP and two top prospects the Phillies getting a superstar in Bryant you know, so it, it works out that way a little bit. And then, you know, a couple of middling prospects just to even it out and give them a touch of upside for the longer term as well. So to me, that seems like a fair deal. We have it as a bit of an overpay um, by the Phillies, but that makes sense considering mm-hmm. usually the superstars do get go for a little bit more than we estimate. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's our first edition of the trade of the week. Make sure you get your submissions in throughout the week. Um, it's easy. Just plug them into our trade simulator on the website. Click post to trade board, and then we'll see it. And if we like it, and if the rest of the users like it, maybe we'll talk about it next week. That's right. And just you know, to add to that, we do take into account whether it's getting some likes right. or even dislikes. In some cases, if you even those out, that means it, it touched a nerve. It means there's probably something interesting going on there. So we do look at those things. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the age-old adage is if the fans of both teams feel like they overpaid, then it's probably a fair deal. So that, that's what we kind of look at with the thumbs up, thumbs down there. Yep, that's right. It's got a sting on both sides. Yeah. All right. So do we want to move on to the uh, main segment of this episode? Yeah. So what we thought we would do is now that we're sort of reaching the point of the off season where it's more or less over, I sort of felt like the Mookie Betts trade was sort of the, you know, the big sort of finale to the fireworks show, you know, of the off season. And so we're sort of on the downside of that. There may be a trade or two coming up, and there probably will be some little ones, you know, as we go forward as after spring training, as you know, spring, spring training battles start to shake themselves out and some minor deals start to happen here and there as rosters, you know, adjust a little bit. We'll, 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 no doubt we'll see some of those. Um, but we're looking back at the offseason, and we've kind of, you know, we've noted every trade that, have hap- that has happened so far. Um, and just to sort of recap how our model is doing, um, so far, there have been 45 trades that we've noted in total. Um, you know, our model has uh, accepted 37 of those for a percentage of 82.2 with a variance of plus or minus 4.6. Now, keep in mind, those numbers are accurate for what we showed at on the site at the time of the trade. However, you know, we are reliant on publicly available data that doesn't always come to us at the time of the trade. Sometimes it comes to, comes to us after, be it uh, projection systems, be it roster uh, prospect rankings. So, you know, we, we sort of started doing a tally and said, okay, well, you know, had we know then what they, what we know now, you know, what would those numbers be? So, and those are um, out of the 45 trades. So after updating the data, 
um, we were right on 91.1% of those, 41 out of 45, with a variance of 2.4. So what that shows us is that the model is doing pretty well. It's relatively close. Uh, so I wanted to highlight one of the big trades in the offseason. And as we go forward with our podcast series, we'll pick, you know, one or two of them out each week and we'll, we'll talk about them. The one I'd like to focus on today was the Corey Kluber trade uh, from Cleveland to Texas. Now, at the time, <clears throat> we had uh, Corey Kluber's surplus value is, is median estimate at 2.7, which was on the low side. And, you know, to be honest, we got a lot of flack for that because people thought, oh, he's a superstar, you know, former Cy Young pitcher. Yes, he had some injuries, but they were not the kind of pitching injuries that you would think would be, you know, the kind that would affect his value. So why is he so low? When the trade was announced, um, people were frankly shocked at the return. They thought he would return a lot more than he did. So let me break that down. Kluber was actually, um, he, he's owed $17.5 million for 2020 with an option for $18 million in 2021. Uh, so that's not cheap. And he's at the point of his career where he's 34. Um, so he's starting to decline a little bit. When you look at his numbers, uh, you can start to see a decline pattern. It's similar to, you know, what's happened with Dallas Keuchel and Cole Hamels and, you know, those guys that are in their 30s who are not quite what they used to be. So, you know, David he's not price. the same. Yeah. And, and the price is not cheap. So, and then further, those injuries, while we agree that they were not uh, necessarily, you know, based on his pitching, he, he obviously took a comebacker to the arm, which broke his arm, and that was pretty serious. But keep in mind, that's your li livelihood. Your arm is your livelihood. So that was a broken arm. That's a pretty serious thing. So you have to factor that in a little bit. But the more important point was when he was pitching, even before he got hurt, he wasn't very good. I know, I know it's a small sample size, but seven starts and, you know, two of them were horrible. You know, one was against Kansas City, one was against Chicago. These were not good teams, people. And he just, he got, he got hammered. He was out in two innings or three innings in each one, you know. So this was, he, he had lost his stuff a little bit, and that concerned me a little bit. So, you know, for all of those reasons, we knew how great he was in the past, but we have to look to the future. We had him on the low side. You know, and sure enough, he what he returned was, was not a whole lot either. So I just wanted to say directionally, we felt pretty good that we were on the right track there. Yeah, I think over the last um, over the last almost a year now that we've been uh, that we've been running, I think that's been the most common uh, complaint we've gotten is players like Kluber, players like Price, players with all this star value, all this name value, but the number isn't quite there, and it's. I think, in general, a lot of a lot of declines of these type of stars kind of catch us by surprise as fans. Um, nobody nobody wants to believe that Kluber is no longer elite because from 2014 to 2018 he had one of the best. He was one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. He was elite, and we're not saying that he can't be that again. But he's getting up there. He's about to turn 34. And he just had a very poor season. It, 2019 was, it, put it, calling it a disaster is putting it lightly for Kluber. That was about the worst case scenario <laughs> for him between the injury and the performance. So I, I think it's, it's tough to see these kind of declines coming. And it's, it can be tough to figure out how much weight to put in it. But because of his age, and because of just how bad that year was, um, we can't 
we can't project him as an ace anymore. Yeah, and you know, aging curves are real, and there's two components to them. One is performance decline, the other one is injury risk. So the older you get, the more likely your performance is going to decline, and you factor that in. The older you get, the more likely you're going to get injured in some more, you know, and as you get older, the the severity of that injury could get, you know, um, could increase. You're more likely to have a shoulder injury or an elbow injury or, you know, a usage injury of some sort like that. So that, both of those components weigh down the future projections. And, you know, this has been researched to death. You can find it all over the internet. There's all sorts of aging curve sort of research you can do to show us that. So we're looking forward and we're taking those things into account. So that's why we were low on Kluber. So, um, I personally was not surprised by the, the return. So the return to the Indians um, was a relief prospect named Emmanuel Classe, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I think so. And um, and center fielder Delano DeShields, who um, we were a little bit high on at the time. Um, but in retrospect, as the projection systems have been updated, it turns out we were a little too high and he's been since downgraded. Um, Meanwhile, Clase has actually been upgraded a little bit because people mm -hmm. noticed, ooh, he's got some talent. You know, he's got a 100-mile fastball. He's got some really serious stuff. However, he's a relief prospect, so he's a little bit improving. He did it do some time in 2019, showed really good stuff. Um, but relief prospects, it's interesting because, I, you know, the um, the two guys who do prospects, or now one guy, Eric Longenhagen at Fangraphs and his former partner, Kyle McDaniel, after this trade, they were debating, were we a little low on Clause? Like, are we generally too low on, on relief prospects? Because generally they have them around the, the 40 range or so uh, because they're not starters and they know that starters generally are much more valuable. They contribute much more, you know, war season after season. So if you're not going to be a starter, if you're going to be a reliever, you're going to be a little more fringy. So they tend to, tend to rank them pr on the low side. But even this trade caught them by surprise and they thought oh, maybe we're underrating Clause a little bit so i thought that was interesting mm -hmm. Clause, if there's a guy that if there is a reliever a relief prospect that is going to be worth significant value it's him he's one of the filthiest arms in baseball that has yet to really make himself known um, i'd say him and andres munoz of mm -hmm. the san diego padres um, similar just high octane fastball um, not really too many, not as many questions about control as you often see with that type of relief prospect, but relief prospect. And if it doesn't work out there, when a starting pitcher prospect doesn't work out, um, you can send them to the bullpen, see if they gain a couple miles per hour, see if it works there. When a relief prospect doesn't work out, you don't really have that luxury. You just have a AAA player. Yeah, and the other thing about relief prospects, as we do the valuations on them, what makes them kind of low value is because you know they're not contributing as much to the overall picture if you think about it in war terms that's not the only component we look at but if you just think about it that way they generally are projected to be about you know somewhere between zero and one typically you know 0.5 that sort of thing you know but they have to make league minimum that's the bar you know so a lot of them are just not good enough to even make league minimum which is why they bounce around a lot and then especially the ones who are very fringy and get out of you know and they start to use up option years those are the ones you see dfa all the time so being a reliever is not you know generally the the most stable career path because you're right on the fringe especially mm -hmm. get into your arb years you know you you start making more money because the way arb escalations work and you're just you have to perform to that level so you're never going to really get that much surplus value unless you're you know a superstar like josh Hader or something the the 
grand majority of them are sort of in the onesie, twosie, five, ten, maybe a little bit more than that, but you know, after they establish themselves, but they're never really high numbers because they don't contribute as much to the overall picture and they have to make that bar that, you know, the, the salary bar of, you know, that, that the contracts require. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a volatile position as well. Like mm. when baseball is a game of inches and if you're only pitching 50, 60 innings a year, you can, there's so much that can happen there. There's so much luck that you're subject to. There's so much, you have a bad week, it can, it can sink your whole season as a reliever. Um, and because of that volatility, they're incredibly difficult to value and you can't really put that much stock into them. That's right. But we'll see. Maybe Clause A is one of these guys who's going to turn up to be the next Josh Hader. But mm -hmm. um, so, so from a valuation standpoint, we were directionally right, we thought, being low on Kluber, and you know, but we were actually a little too high on DeShields a little bit. And after since updating the numbers with the with the projections and the updated prospect ranks and so forth, we're actually very close on that trade. We're first we were off by about six, and now we're off by about two. We have the total value going to the Rangers at six point five, the total value going to the Indians at four point five. You know, that's close enough, well within the error range and well well within the normal variance that we think that's a fair deal. So. Wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Mm -hmm. um, I, since we have time, I thought, well, let's do one more of the trades from the offseason that, that caught my eye. And that was the trade of uh, Omar Narvez. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, Narvaez, I think. Narvaez, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I work on that. Uh, from Seattle to Milwaukee. Um, here again, um, you had a really good year with the bat. A lot of you know folks in the media thought he would return a lot more than he actually did. You know, what Seattle got back was, you know, a compensatory draft pick, uh, comp pick B, as we call it, and a relatively minor prospect in, in Adam Hill, who's a pitching prospect. And that was it. So I think we were pretty much in the ballpark at this one. In the original, um, we had uh, Narvaez at 5.2 and the total package going back at 4.1. So reasonably close. One of the things that was pointed out is that Narvaez is really bad at defense, and that matters for a catcher. You know, well, that's one of those positions that defense really counts. So, yeah, it's great that he can hit. Um, even his bat is not always the most consistent, but his defense, by all accounts, is well below average. And so that mm -hmm. kind of sunk his value quite a bit. Yeah, I believe he graded out as one of the worst framers in all of <laughs> baseball, which is which is kind of fascinating. Um, putting aside the trade analysis for just a second, it's kind of fascinating from Milwaukee's point of view going from Yasmani Grandal to Omar Narvaez from one of the best framers in baseball to one of the worst. Um, it's interesting to see how that's going to play out because their, their bats probably aren't too far apart. Uh, Grandal is the better hitter, but it's not by a huge margin. But the glove is just, I don't know if there's a bigger gap <laughs> between two starting catchers in the game right now. So that's going to be really interesting. And maybe, maybe that's something uh, framing that becomes less valuable as the automated strike zone comes into play. So maybe the Brewers are thinking we can kind of take the hit for a year or two and then, you know, soon framing won't matter and the worst part of his game will just kind of disappear. And when that, if and when that does happen, we'll probably have to account for that in our valuation of players like Narvaez. Yeah. But for now, it could be an adventure behind the plate. <laughs> it, it could. 
Um, you know, I will say, you know, Milwaukee is one of the most progressive organizations. A uh, lot of respect for, for the GM there, uh, David Stearns. Um, he, he makes some very savvy deals. So, you know, um, I wouldn't put about I, He's very value oriented. And so I think it may be just, you know, a simple case of, hey, we can get a good bat in our lineup and it won't cost us much mm-hmm. except, a, you know, a comp pick B and a minor prospect. Okay. You know, <laughs> you know, so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll lose a little bit on the defensive side, but we, we got some, we like the thump in the bat. So we'll take that. Mm-hmm. Their offseason as a whole has been fascinating. They lost, yeah. I believe, it, I think it's either 12 or 13 of the players from their wildcard roster are off, aren't with the team anymore. <laughs> That's insane. And they've replaced them with a lot of these like little interesting-ish guys. They've replaced them with the Narvaez, with a Eric Sogard, a Justin Smoke. Uh, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm have no idea what's going to happen there. I have no idea how I'd project them going forward. Yeah, and they also just, you know, they they added about four or five uh, second basemen, yeah. all told. And I don't know how they're, it's, it's like little kids chasing the soccer ball. They're all going to the same place, right? So the, uh, they're not well, all going to play second base. They'll figure well, it out. Knowing, knowing Milwaukee, they don't, they don't, infield positions are all very flexible. Over there. <laughs> yeah. They could, You'll, you'll see Justin Smoke playing uh, 40, 50 games at third base this year, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and they'll make it work. You know, yeah. they seem to do they'll that. They'll shift, and somehow, oh, Zach Davies isn't there anymore. Somehow, Brandon Woodruff will still have a 290 ERA pitching in front of that defense. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about the Seattle side of that. So they didn't right, actually right. have to trade Narvaez. Um, you know, and, and obviously Jerry DePoto has a reputation for being, <laughs> you know, a, you know, finger on the trigger at all times he loves to trade that's that's a known um he actually had a relatively quiet off season for him and he's i've been actually impressed because yeah is, is he okay <laughs> <laughs> he traded from the hospital a year ago yeah. like okay well when he's healthy he doesn't trade when he's got something wrong with him he does yeah i don't know <laughs> but uh yeah yeah actually i've been very impressed with him because he has been slowly surely quietly building that farm back up and it's gone from mm-hmm. one of the worst farms to now it's probably one you know pretty close to top 10 it's got some real talent in it at the top with um julio rodriguez and jared kelenic and some other ones kind of bubbling up so so he is focused on the future obviously and it being a rebuild here that that's no surprise but you know uh, but he didn't have to trade narvaez so i so I, I felt like this one was a little bit curious um maybe i think i think they did want to open up some playing time uh for not only austin nola Mm. catcher is going to be a time split between nola and tom murphy who had an incredible year yeah hits lefties like nobody else in baseball Mm -hmm. um so catching is going to be a timeshare for them and then evan white who they locked up to an extension this year is presumably the opening day first baseman and this opens up uh nola was seeing some time at first base so maybe that's part of it that could be part of it. Maybe they saw Narvaez as a DH and they've right, got Vogelbach right. doing a lot of that DHing. So maybe they don't you know, need another guy mm-hmm. who's kind of stationary. So they also cut Domingo Santana this off season. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it's it's been an, a quiet off season for the Mariners, but I respect it a lot. Um, yeah. Jerry has been active in the minor league market a lot and they just signed i don't think it was a minor i think it was a major league deal they signed taiwan walker brought him back uh that's a nice little buy low they signed carlos gonzalez to a minor league deal so they're they're working around the fringes they're cutting out players 
like Narvaez, like Santana, that might be blocking younger talent. And in this trade, they get a draft pick back, and that's a pretty valuable asset for them right now. With uh, It's still relatively early in the rebuild. They're still not really seeing uh, that young talent hit the big leagues yet, so an extra draft pick always helps. That's right. Okay. Um, and then I think maybe one more trade and, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we can wrap after that. But the other one that sort of caught my eye, um, was Nomar Mazzara going to the White Sox and, right, uh, yeah. for a prospect named Steve Walker. Um, so here's another one where maybe the public was a little bit surprised at the return. Um, in crunching some of the numbers we looked at, you know, we didn't see any surplus value with, with Mazzara. We knew he was a former top prospect. We knew he's still on the young side. I think he's still only 24, maybe 25. So it's possible he could, you know, come back. And, you know, he had, you know, some some uh, platoon numbers that were a little bit promising. But uh, he's getting into his ARB years now, and he's never really produced, you know. And so after three or four years, you get the impression he is what he is. He sort of exceeded, you know, when we talked about in our first part podcast with the younger players, you know, we tend to blend their their major league projections with their their prospect ranks. At a certain point, though, you graduate from that, and you are what you are. And this is the case with Mazar. He just, you know, you know, we we barely saw any sort of you know value there. Basically, mm-hmm. just enough to 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 make his earn his keep there with his salary. So, so we projected him at you know zero, frankly, um, to start the year. So. Uh, I was not surprised personally when all he returned was sort of a middling prospect in Steel Walker. Um, it was a little surprising maybe that uh, Texas gave up on him. Um, but, you know, I think Chicago sees a sees a possible turnaround project there. Yeah, I'll, I'll give Mazzara credit for consistency. He hit 20, <laughs> 20 home runs in 2016, 20 in 2017, 20 in 2018, 19 in 2019. Maybe that's why Texas moved on. Uh, we're done with this. He's not hitting us 20 homers anymore. Um, <laughs> But that is a little concerning to see the power output kind of remain consistent when the offensive environment around him has changed so much. Um, last year was the year of the juiced ball. And yeah, that was 19 homers in a career low 116 games. But you'd still like to see more power output from a former top prospect and a guy with the frame that Mazzara has. Um, he's a huge dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got, and, and he hit the longest homer in all of baseball last season. Mm. It, he's got all of that potential all of that power in him he just hasn't put he, he hasn't put a posted a wrc plus over 100 for his major league career and that's four full seasons now um maybe that's the type of player that would have made sense for the rangers to hang on to since their offense isn't all that inspiring maybe they needed to take maybe they should have taken a shot on some upside one last time with mazara but you can't really blame them when the bat wasn't really there. The glove wasn't really there. It's been four years. How long are you going to hang on to him? Yeah, exactly. Now, interestingly, I I found a lot of he a lot of uh, journalists thought he was worth a lot more than he turned out to be. I remember seeing one piece in the Athletic where, you know, that that roundtable thing or that thing mm-hmm. where the journalists from each team, the beat reporters from each team, so let's let's do a mock trade and let's see. So they right. they, they they did a piece on Mazzara and. Um, and they thought, okay, yeah, I think it was uh, the Padres, and they thought he would he would um, go for Joey Lucchese as the main piece back. And we have Lucchese 
with a lot of surplus value. He's yeah. been a relatively good pitcher and still has like a lot 37 of mil. Yeah. So, so he's in the thirties and Hey, we had Mazzaro at zero and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> There's, they're not in the same area code here. So, uh, you know, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that, you know, he, he, he didn't return much at all. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so once we got the updated prospect numbers, um, for steel Walker, it turns out he's a, he's, he's about three. So it was basically a zero for three. Once again, pretty close to our normal variance. So that seems like a, you know, and, and maybe, Maybe the, the White Sox will tap into something with Mazzara as he gets into his mm-hmm. Arbiers. We'll see. So that seems like a fairly fairly uh, even trade from my perspective. Yeah, Mazzara is a little similar to Jerks and Profar. Um, maybe before Profar's 2018, uh, they had the similar prospect type and never really put it all together at the big leagues. Profar had some injuries that he fought. I think the last couple of years, Mazzara has had a couple of his as well. Um, but they're both still ridiculously young. They're a lot of prospects haven't even made the big leagues yet at Mazzara's mm-hmm. age. He's not even 25 yet. Um, so you can see the incentive for the, uh, the White Sox. But, no, he was never going to go for a Lucchese, a, an established MLB starter. He yeah. was never going to go for a piece like that. That's right. So long story short is uh, don't always believe what you read out there with the pundits <laughs> trying to do those things. The, you know, journalists generally are not so good at math. <laughs> so mm-hmm. They haven't crunched the numbers. So uh, that's one of the things, hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this, that's why you might be a fan of what we're doing here. We are crunching the numbers and trying to get them close. So hopefully we're doing okay on that front. Yeah, uh, I just uh, looked it up and Mazzara is about a year and three months older than the prospect Steel Walker that he was traded for. <laughs> there you and go. And Walker has yet to advance past high A. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that one turns out. So um, with that, uh, I think we can call it a wrap. Yeah, I think this was a pretty good little chat. We'll be getting into more of this stuff in the coming weeks um, as we kind of get through spring training, uh, cover any news that pops up there, and yeah work through our off season sounds good well uh, and we'll talk more uh, we'll as we go forward we'll we'll cover more trades from the off season give us give our take on how they did from a value perspective and a mm-hmm. fit perspective as well and we'll also feature more of those uh, trades of the week um, i'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about on the next one right and as usual if you have any questions or input or anything for us uh, shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or send us a message on Twitter at Baseball Values. My Twitter personally is at Jive underscore Oak. John's is at Fitzer Digital. And yeah, if you have anything, any questions for any of us, feel free to hit us up. Great. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Have a good one, guys.